you have your Bible, turn with me to John chapter 16. We're going to continue our study through the book of John. We will be reading not 1 through 15, but actually verses 5 through 15. So this is God's word. You can follow along with me as I read. But now I'm going to him who sent me, and none of you ask me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Isn't that interesting? Jesus says that the best thing that could happen to them is that he leave them. Okay, that's just an interesting comment. Uh, And send the helper, the Holy Spirit. Verse 8. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father, and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. And when the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, or he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine, therefore I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Let's pray. Ask God to come through his spirit and to help us this morning. Father, we bring into this room this morning lots of stories coming from lots of different places. And so our prayer is that you would bring the spirit of truth this morning into our hearts to guide us into all truth and to convict us of sin and righteousness and judgment. Lord, we pray that you would also, as your spirit um, does in one of the main rows, would point us to Jesus so that we would leave here not with our eyes on ourselves, but with our eyes on him. And so we pray, I pray now, that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart would be pleasing to you. In Christ's name, amen. We have been studying the book of John really since uh, the 1st of January, and that study will take us through the end of the summer to the first week of August. And for the last several weeks, and there's a reason, because lots of the book of John covers really the last day of Jesus' life. Last several weeks, we have been in what is commonly known as the farewell discourse, and that is just what it says. It's Jesus' parting words, his last words to his disciples. And yes, he covers many, uh, much territory, talks about many different things, but one of the primary themes throughout the farewell discourse, if you uh, haven't noticed, is this idea of the Holy Spirit. That seems to be one of the prominent things that Jesus is talking to them about. And here in John chapter 16, we see some of the most concentrated teaching on the Holy Spirit and the whole Bible, uh, for sure, in the four Gospels. And so I think it's really important for us to spend another week talking about the Holy Spirit. Several reasons for this, but we don't talk about him very much. 
Uh, He's been known as an it, not as a person of the Trinity. Uh, He's been called the forgotten person of the Trinity. And for the most part, our denomination or our little area of Christianity, I would say, again, I'm generalizing here, but typically has a very weak view and a weak theology of the Holy Spirit. And when he is talked about, normally it's in some weird and wacky way. Uh, It has to do around some emotional experience where this idea that the Spirit transports you away in space and time into some ecstatic state of worship or some really emotional experience. That's the way he's typically talked about when he is talked about. And so we're going to spend another week talking about the Holy Spirit in chapter 16 because John gives us here, Jesus gives us, uh, the Holy Spirit's job description. He tells us uh, what exactly he does and what his role is. In this passage, we see one of the clearest descriptions of how a person experiences the Holy Spirit and what the Holy Spirit looks like when it's at work or he's at work See, there it is. (laughs) When he's at work in a person's life. And so this morning, we're going to learn three things that the Spirit does. The Spirit convicts, the Spirit guides and declares. Convicts, guides, and declares. So let's look at those three things this morning. Uh, Number one, the Spirit convicts us. And, and listen, friends, this is some packed teaching right here in verses 8 uh, through 11. And Jesus here basically summarizes uh, what the Holy Spirit does. And in verse 8, it says that he comes to convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. And so we're going to work that out. Those are, if you're a note taker, those are the three subpoints under this first point. Sin, righteousness, and judgment. And so this is by far the longest point, so bear with me, but this is important for us to gain an understanding uh, on what it means when it says that the Spirit convicts us of sin, righteousness, and judgment. So let's look at those three things under this first point. And as we do, uh, you need to be asking yourself some questions throughout this morning as we look at this passage. Uh, Is the Holy Spirit at work in your life? Has the Holy Spirit worked in your life? Are you a Christian? Those are questions that you should be thinking about this morning as we go through this passage. So let's look at the first sub-point. Sin. The Holy Spirit convicts the world of sin. And what's interesting here is the word convict. If you start to dig, a down, dig down a little bit and do some research on that word, you'll find that it actually means prosecutor. What does a prosecuting attorney do? Well, he, gets someone on, he or she gets someone on the witness stand, and they ask them really hard questions. Why do they do that? Because they want to expose them that that person is not who they think they are. They want to show that they're actually guilty. And so you see, the Bible comes and says that uh, the only way, assumes that the only way that you and I will ever be free, the only way that we're ever going to be healed and be the people that God has created us to be is when we realize uh, that the shame, and be, that when we are convinced 
of our shame and our condemnation and, and our sin when we realize that that is actually true. You've got to understand, and if you're going to be healed, you've got to realize that that is true of you. And so the first role or job of the Holy Spirit is to shake you. The first job of the Holy Spirit is to expose you and convince you that you're not just a person, that I'm not just a person who messes up every now and then or sins every now and then, but that you and I are by nature sinners. That we by nature are sinners who desperately need something, desperately need a savior, a rescuer, who desperately need Jesus. I have a friend of mine who talks about, has told this story many times about when he was in seminary, he had his favorite neighborhood grocery store just like you do. And throughout the course of uh, his three years in seminary, uh, that, that was his store. Anytime he needed something, he would go to this one particular grocery store. And he says that seven or eight times in the course of graduate school, he ended up with Buggy 17. You all know about Buggy 17 because you've all experienced this at some point, at some time in a grocery store. But Buggy 17 is the buggy that has been run into and has been damaged for life. It always pulls to the right, no matter what has been done to try to fix it, no matter what the store has done, it always pulls right. It can be sitting perfectly still, or you think it's still, and that thing starts moving into the end cap, right, into the end of the aisle and knocking something down. Or when you're, you're wrestling that thing, trying to keep the cart from running into someone else or pulling right. It got to the point where my friend says that was a challenge. It was him versus buggy 17. And he was determined to win and to straighten it out. And his lowest moment, as he describes, was the time he brought a hammer. (laughs) He kept it in his car, buggy 17. He wheels out his groceries, unloads his groceries, pulls out a hammer, hides behind his car, and is wailing on buggy 17, (laughs) trying to straighten out buggy 17. But guess what? Didn't work. The frame was bent. Buggy 17 actually had basic structural damage. Your buggy 17. I'm buggy 17. And the job of the Holy Spirit is to come into your life and convince you that you're buggy 17. Because you see, unless you're convinced that you're buggy 17, that you're bent and that you've got basic structural damage because of Genesis chapter 3, because of your sin, then Jesus will never be sweet to you. You'll never really understand the gospel. Because the gospel says that we need something because we're bent. We need Jesus to come in and to straighten us out. And friends, you know as well as I do, it is not natural for us to admit that we're buggy 17, is it? No, that's the hardest thing in the world for us to admit. And that's why it takes the work of the Spirit in your life. You know what's natural for you and I? It's to think everyone else is buggy 17 and we're just fine. Thank you very much. You see, what's natural for us is to look at the world and say, it's the media, that's the problem. Or politics, or 
our, our children or our spouse or the education system, those things are bent. But I'm doing just fine. You see, the hardest thing in the world for us to admit is to say, I am the problem. See, you'll know that the Holy Spirit has worked in your life when you start to come to grips with the fact that people have been hurt simply by the fact that they're in relationship with you. See, you'll realize that the Holy Spirit is at work in your life when you come to grips and realize that your children will need to talk to someone when they're older. Because of how you've raised them. I'm serious. You know how I know that's true? Because I've spent the last 12 years talking to them. Talking to college students about their parents. You see, my girls will have to forgive me for the way that I've raised them. They will have to forgive Susie. For the ways that she has raised them. And listen, it's not that we're doing anything bad. And it's not that you're doing anything bad. We're trying to do everything right. We take them to Disney. (laughs) We take them to camp. We go swimming as much as we can in the summer with them. We go on family road trips. We have family game nights. We try to give them the best experience we possibly can. But there is one thing that we cannot overcome. And that's the fact that we're buggy 17. That, yes, Jesus is in our heart and at work in us, but we are still broken and sinful, and people will be hurt. My children will be hurt. They will be disappointed, even when I do my best, simply by the fact that I am broken and need a Savior. I'll never forget Joe Novenson, who is one of the godliest people that I know, He's a pastor at Lookout Mountain Press. I'll never forget hearing him uh, tell about what he told all of his children when they were leaving the house to go to college. He would sit them all down and he would say, there's going to come a day in the next few years when you're going to realize that your family's not perfect, but it's very broken. When you're going to realize that your dad is not as good as you thought he was. And when that moment comes, I want you to promise me one thing. That you'll come back and you'll talk to me. And you'll give me the chance to repent. You see, the Holy Spirit, friends, when he comes, he never comes and starts by flattering us. But instead, he comes and he brings us low. And that might sound like terrible news to you, but listen, it's only when he brings us low. That is the place that you finally meet Jesus. Let's move on. Verse 10. The Spirit convicts the world about righteousness. What does that mean? Well, that's kind of, again, confusing. It does not mean that the Spirit's job is to show the world that it's right (laughs) or to show the world that it's righteous. Because that would contradict what we've just learned in verse 9. No, what he means here is that the righteousness uh, that he's talking about is the righteousness that Jesus will bring into the world by his perfect life, death, and resurrection. The Holy Spirit's role in your life is to convince the world and to convince us 
that the single most right thing that ever happened in the world is Jesus and his life and his death and his resurrection. His job is to convince you, in other words, is that you're not enough. That your goodness and your righteousness is not enough to give you right standing with God. So what does that mean actually for us as we work that out today? Well, George Whitfield used to say uh, that it's not enough for a Christian just to repent. When, when I say repent, turn from the bad things in your life. But a Christian is someone who, yes, they do that, but at the very same time, they also turn from the good things in their life. What do I mean by that? They turn from the things they're looking to to make them right before a holy God. Because when things don't go well in our life, the first thing we do, our knee-jerk reaction, is to start looking at the thing that we like most about ourselves, and we say, mm, I'm good compared to that person I know. You see, one of the surest signs that the Spirit is at work when you start to see that your goodness might very well be your biggest problem. The thing that you're looking to, to make yourself right before God, to feel acceptable to Him. And the Holy Spirit's job is to convince you that your righteousness will never be enough. Your goodness will never be enough. And so the Holy Spirit forces you to see that Christianity is not about you developing a righteousness uh, on your own to present to Jesus. No, it's about Jesus who has developed and lived a perfect righteous life and he gives that to you and imputes that to you by faith. That's what the Spirit is trying to convince you of. Very quickly, verse 11. Convicts the world concerning judgment because the ruler of the world is judged. This is a little strange at first, so let me try to explain. The ruler of this world that Jesus is talking about uh, is the devil. And when we look around, and you know this is true, at our world, and we see all of the corruption and all of the abuse and violence and terrorism and all those things, even the cross, when it looked like God himself was dying, our knee-jerk reaction is to think evil has won. The Holy Spirit's job is to come into your life and to remind you that things are not as they seem. That Jesus is right now on his throne ruling and reigning and he will one day return and make all the sad things come untrue and make everything in this world right. That's one of the jobs of the Holy Spirit. Secondly, he guides. How does the Holy Spirit guide us? Look at verses 13 and 14. Two ways. First of all, in verse 13, he guides you in truth. Okay, so for, the, for these apostles, these disciples, he was going to guide them in truth uh, in the writing of the rest of the New Testament. So what does that mean for us? Well, the Holy Spirit will guide us in this truth, in the truth of the Holy Scriptures. The word is a light into my path and a lamp unto our feet. Secondly, verse 14. It guides, so he guides not only by his word, but guides us by pointing us to Jesus. It says the Spirit will glorify Jesus. I love J.I. Packer here. And he talks about the Holy Spirit's role uh, is one where the Holy Spirit acts like a spotlight. Think about a show that you've been to. And the job of a spotlight, you don't even really see the spotlight. It's hidden. 
uh, and it does not point and show itself, but the spotlight comes and shines the light on someone or something else. And Martin hinted at this last week very clearly in his last point. The Holy Spirit's number one job is to point you to Jesus and the finished work of Jesus on the cross. I think that is huge when you think about the role of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is about the Bible and about Jesus. And lots of time, particularly in my last 12 years of ministry, when people start talking about, oftentimes, again, I'm generalizing, but oftentimes when you talk about being filled with the Spirit, the focus is on who? Me. And what's going on inside me and my feelings and the experience that person maybe is having. And even when I've heard, you know, God told me, the Holy Spirit told me to do X, Y, and Z. And the problem is, is it's often something that's in addition to or against the Bible. And so with all due respect, that's not the Holy Spirit that's telling you those things. Why? Because the Spirit would never go against the truth would never contradict the Bible because the Holy Spirit is always connected to Jesus and the Bible. And so what does it mean to be Spirit-filled? A Spirit-filled person makes much of the Bible and makes much of Jesus. Kevin DeYoung, I, I, used, I love this book. It's about decision-making and the Holy, Spirit's guidance, the Holy Spirit's guidance. And it's called Just Do Something. And you might have read it, but he's got a really great illustration about how we abuse the Spirit's guidance in our life. And he says this, he's talking about his roommate. He says, I'll never forget my poor roommate talking to me after he had taken a risk and asked a nice young lady out on a date. Said They went on a long walk, and he was pretty sure that she would reciprocate his declaration of affection. But instead, it turned out that she was not interested. She was a nice, sweet, good Christian girl, and she didn't mean to have a bad theology. But instead of just saying, I'm not interested, or instead of saying, I don't like you, or instead of saying, quit stalking me, (laughs) she went all spiritual on him. She says, I've been praying about this a lot. And the Holy Spirit told me, No. His friend said, no. She said, yeah, no, never. And I love DeYoung's comment. He said, poor guy. He got rejected, not only by this sweet girl, but by the Holy Spirit. (laughs) The third person of the Trinity took a break from pointing people to Jesus to tell this sweet girl that she should not date his roommate. I didn't know that the Spirit's job description had changed. And that is a funny story, but you know, honestly, I don't think it's far off. Oftentimes when we talk talk about the Holy Spirit and the guidance of the Spirit, we do so even, even unknowingly. Unknowingly, apart from Jesus and his word. And there's probably lots of ways this could look, but let me try to work this out a little bit. What does that look like? Well, we have a temptation to use the Holy Spirit as a way of excusing not making a decision. 
And maybe we say things like, well, I'll just wait. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with waiting, but oftentimes it's an excuse. I'll just wait on him and wait for a certain feeling or experience. Or maybe we use the Holy Spirit, and I see this a lot, as an excuse for taking responsibility for a decision that might cost us or has cost us. And we say things like, well, God told me to. I prayed about it, and so we kind of almost blame, put the blame on him so that we don't have to take it ourselves. Or instead of being driven by God's word or by uh, Jesus, we're often driven by hunches and feelings and emotions. And again, emotions are good. They're God-given. Those are good things. But even our emotions and feelings are subjected to the word of God and to the scriptures. So if you've got a decision this morning before you, it's not necessarily the Holy Spirit's job. Not necessarily. Notice I said that. You, if you've got a lot of turmoil and all those things, I'm not saying you don't need to think about that. But it's not necessarily the Spirit's job to give you a certain feeling. No, remember the Holy Spirit. What does He do? He reminds you. The job of the Spirit is to remind you in the midst of the decision of Jesus' unwavering love for you. That He's got you. And that He's got your future. The Holy Spirit's job is not to make the decision for you. But His job is to take away your fear by reminding you of the good news of Jesus Christ. So do you make decisions on a, out of a lack of or out of the fullness of Jesus' love for you? Does insecurity, is that the primary mover when it comes to making a decision? Or is security and the freeness that the love of Jesus brings, is that the primary mover in your decision making? You see, you'll know when the Holy Spirit is at work in your life, when you're driven by God's word, and when you make much of Jesus in your life. Lastly, the Holy Spirit declares. Look at verses 14 and 15. The Holy Spirit, he says there, declares what I've taught to you, uh, or takes what I've taught to you and manifests or declares it to you. And so the Holy Spirit, think about it, de declares many things about Jesus to you. But there is one theme that we really see anytime the Spirit shows up, this theme tends to show up in the Bible, and it is this idea of sonship. Mark chapter 2, Jesus is being baptized. The heavens open up. The Spirit ascends like a dove. And remember what the Spirit says? This is my Son in whom I am well pleased. You might say, well, Jason, of course, that's Jesus. Romans chapter 8, verse 16 the Holy Spirit declares to your heart and bears witness of what? That you are a child of God. Galatians chapter 4 verse 6, the Holy Spirit comes into your heart and cries out or declares, Abba, Father. See, it's the job of the Spirit to come into your life and into your heart and to declare to, declare to you God's love for you and the fact that you are His child. And that he delights over you with loud singing, as Zephaniah 3 says. It means that one of the roles of the Holy Spirit is to take all of these things that you've learned all of your life. Some of you have grown up in church and you know the gospel like the back of your hand. 
And the Holy Spirit takes that from up here, from just being knowledge in your head, and drives it deep into your heart and makes it a reality in your life. Had a friend of mine recently tell me a story about this event that had taken place in his family. About his sister and older brother. And they had had some interactions that had been very difficult and hurtful. And as his sister was reflecting on these interactions and these, the circumstances, uh, she started to realize the reason why it was affecting her so deeply uh, was because she really wanted her older brother's approval. She really wanted his affirmation and affection but had often felt torn down by their interactions with one another. She remembers one time where she had mentioned to her brother uh, that uh, she was very discouraged when she looked in the mirror because age had taken its toll on her, and she was not who she once was. And her brother, in hopes of being a joke, says rather sarcastically, well, you say that like you were once beautiful. And again, he was laughing and trying to make light of it, but boy, that pierced her heart. And then she goes and she's sharing this story, visiting her parents who are uh, 80 years old, and as she's sharing with them uh, about her desire for her brother's affection and for his support and approval, her 80-year-old father, gets up out of his recliner, all of a sudden out of the blue as she's talking, and walks over to her and puts his hands on her shoulders. And he looks at her in the face and says, I think you're really something. I think you're beautiful. I think you're a fabulous wife. And you know what? I've seen you interact with your children And I think you are the greatest mother. Can you imagine? You know what happened. She started weeping. Falls into her father's arms. As he pronounces these kind words and words of blessing to her. Friends, that's the Holy Spirit. That's what he does. When you are filled with the Spirit, there is a sense in which... Uh, you feel or sense the Father's arms or hands on your shoulders and He is looking you at the, in the face and reminding you of who you are, saying, you're really something. I am well pleased with you. You are beautiful because you belong to me. The Spirit takes the things that we know in our heads and He makes them real to our hearts. Friends, so often, if you're anything like me, we live out of not enough. Anybody here here live out of not enough? I'm not enough at work. (laughs) I'm not enough at home. I'm not significant enough. I'm not accepted enough, loved enough, recognized enough. The Holy Spirit comes to us this morning and says, Stop living out of not enough. You are enough. You've got everything you need for life and godliness. You're enough because you belong to Jesus. Let's pray.
Father, these are beautiful truths. And I pray that the Spirit would do just that now. Even this afternoon, this week, would drive these truths, press them down deep into our hearts. Help us to believe that we are enough because we belong to you. Help us to listen to the Spirit in those ways and free us from the cycles of shame and guilt and not measuring up. Guide us in truth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.